So we're going to continue today in our series, Set Free. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read a scripture that I hope by now you've started to memorize. Um, and uh, now I push this button and I'm, I'm going to be patient today. All right. There we go. Let's go. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it breathes life. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our life, and I thank you for the opportunity to, be, to choose to live by the Spirit. May we make that choice today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I guess in the next series, we're going to have to read you know, chapters to make up for these short scriptures that we're doing here. Uh, so we're, we're in this series uh, called, Set, called Set Free, and uh, what we've been uh, doing over the last several weeks is we have been uh, going over the evidence, the evidence of a life that is lived by the Spirit, evidence of a life lived by the Spirit. You know that you have been set free from the former way of life. You have been set free from your sin, from the bondage of sin. You have been set free. At the top of Galatians, Paul says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. What that, uh, what that says to us is even within our freedom, we have a choice. There's a choice that can be made. And the choice really are between two things. It's between our flesh and it's between the spirit. The flesh wants what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit wants what's contrary to the flesh. And so we have the ability and the option to make a choice to live by the spirit because of the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And do you know, even though we have freedom in Christ Jesus, and even though it would stand to reason that the better choice is to live by the spirit, don't you know that some people choose to still live by the flesh? Don't you know that some of us, boy, we just, we just, we just seem to, to not be able to get away from those things of the flesh. Now, Paul says in that same chapter that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, we're not going to go through the acts of the flesh. If you want to read through that list, you can. It's in Galatians 5. But we're going to go through the evidence and the fruit of a life that, was, that we have chosen to live by the Spirit, the life that is chosen to live by the Spirit. And the evidence is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about goodness, about goodness. Don't you know we serve a good God? And, 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 if, you're, and if you're paying attention, you know, of course, I love when the Holy Spirit you know, works uh, prior to, that puts all the pieces together, you know? And if you've been paying any attention this morning, boy, this has just been laden all over our service this morning, hasn't it? The testimony of God's faithfulness, the testimony of his, his goodness. Of all the fruit that are listed in, in Galatians 5, there are two interesting things that I pull from, from goodness. The first is this, I believe that goodness, the attribute of the fruit that is, that is goodness, is one of the clarifying fruit that's listed there 
that lets us know whether or not you truly understand what Paul is saying in that passage. Now, I'm going to expand upon that in just a few moments. But I believe that goodness of the, of the fruit, this one in particular, clarifies whether or not you understand at all what Paul is saying in chapter 5. So we're going to set that to aside for a second. The second thing is we don't really know what this is. We think we do, but the truth of the matter is we, we don't really know the fullness of what it is to be good. Today is, uh, today is 9-11, and today we remember countless individuals who lost their lives in that tragic, accident, or that tragic event that took place. And I would say that a majority, if not all of us in this room, would say that that event that happened was horrific and that it was bad. But I have to tell you that the people who were involved with making that happen thought they were doing it for a good purpose. And so good and goodness in our human understanding can be real subjective. And so we actually don't know the fullness or the purity of what it is to be good. In fact, the Bible says to us in multiple uh, occasions, on multiple occasions, the Bible says no one is good. There is not a person in this room that is good. Well, let's pray and go home. No, none of us, none of us are good. In fact, over in Romans chapter three, Paul, just in case you thought you were the exception, Paul just reiterates, he says, there is no one good, no, not one. Just in case you're reading and you're thinking, "Ah, that doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you. It applies to you. There's no one in this room that is inherently good, that's just good. Let alone do we understand with the fullness of being good is Jesus even said upon an occasion, we see recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, this parable of a rich ruler that come, he comes and interacts with, with Jesus and he calls Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus replies and says, why do you call me good? And it wasn't that Jesus was calling in to question his own goodness because believe me, Jesus is good. But what was to follow was that this man had followed all of the commandments. He had done everything right, but he lacked one thing, leaving all of the stuff of this world behind and following him, following Jesus. Jesus said, only God is good. Only God is good. In fact, we so do not know what good is that in order for us to come up with any weak or shallow definition of good, we actually use bad. That's how we define good. We define good by what is bad. And so if it's bad, if this, if this is bad to me, then it must mean that this alternative is good. In fact, we do it so much that we write songs about it. You're bad to the bone. All of you, including myself, you're bad, but not bad in the good sense. You're bad in the bad sense. (laughs) But we write songs celebrating how bad we are, and we turn bad into something that's good. This is the culture we live in. It's the world we live in, because we don't at all really understand good, and we don't really understand the pureness of goodness. Back in Genesis, we learn 
uh, we see the first time that the word good is in scripture. And it's right there at the beginning. When God creates the heavens and the earth, he calls it good. He calls it good. And you being his creation, from his perspective, it was good. You being a creation of his, it's a good thing in his, in his mind. And so he goes through this creation and he creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are placed in this garden, the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, they are consumed with God's goodness. All they know is the attribute of God that is so good. And God tells them, you can eat from everything you see except for that one tree. Now, on this side of the fall, what we see when we look back at the stories, we don't see all of the good things that there that were existing there. All we see is the one bad thing. But I would argue that Adam and Eve, when they, prior to the fall, they didn't pay any attention to the one tree they couldn't eat. They enjoyed the fruit of the goodness that was around them. There was no need to go to that tree. God's essence, his very being, his very nature is good. And so Adam and Eve were tempted. Why were they tempted? Because another voice entered the equation. You know, stepping away from the things of the Lord usually starts with another voice. And so another voice enters the equation and it distracts them from all the goodness that is around them. And deception comes. And we know the story that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After they ate the fruit, they now were made privy to a knowledge that they were never meant to have. And so they slipped up. They messed up. And and what happened in that is they estranged themselves from God. They, there was a chasm that was created. But the Bible doesn't start there, stop there when it comes to talking about trees. There's this other tree that we learn about in the word. And it's in Genesis chapter three. And it's in verse 20, it says, Adam named his wife Eve, and because she, because she would become the mother of all the living, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, this man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so when we think about the story of Adam and Eve, so many times there is a tendency for people to look at God's response to Adam and Eve's action and say, man, that was a harsh response for him to curse the ground for the serpent and to make childbearing a part of pain and childbearing for the woman and the labor of Adam's work, all of this, but to banish him from the Garden of Eden, man, that seems like such a harsh thing for a loving God to do. But what we don't put our mind to and what we often don't understand was that God knew that once the tree of knowledge of the good and evil had been eaten, 
And once that shame had set in, had Adam and Eve partaken of the tree of life and gained eternal life at that moment, they would have had shame for eternity. They would have lived in shame for eternity. So God did not banish Adam and Eve out of his anger. He banished them out of his goodness. He banished them out of his goodness because he wanted to spend eternity with them. Guys, if there's anything that I want you to grab today, if you forget everything I say, I want us to be a people who develop a theology of a good God. He is a good God who is for you and not against you. He has such promise in store for you, but the distraction of the world from well-meaning Christians who have not tapped into the goodness of God is a presentation of a God who is up there with a magnifying glass looking out for everything you do wrong so that he can zap you, and that is not the God I know. God, he is for you. He has plans for you. He has a promise for you. And from the beginning of time, from creation, it has always been his desire to be with you. And so he created a way through Jesus Christ so that we could live a life not separate from him, but with him. He is a good God. Growing up, I went to a church and I was scared into my salvation. I've shared this before, but I was told about a place called hell. And I'll tell you, I can dissect hell to you because of everything I learned as a kid. I was told how hot it was. I told that the devil was living there. I I'm telling you, I would burn for eternity and I did not want to do that. And so I was scared into my salvation. And what happened, what happened was with that tactic as I was scared out of hell, I received my salvation, my fire insurance to go to heaven, but I knew nothing about the goodness of God. I knew nothing about a relationship with this king. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ came to this earth not so that you can get entrance and obtain admission into heaven. He came and did what he did, lived an impeccable life, died on the cross, and was raised three days later. He did all of that so that you could be with him and experience his goodness to the full. Heaven is a bonus package. Heaven is a bonus package. We get to be with him. But what's more is that we can begin to experience that relationship with him right now, today. You don't have to wait until the other side of death to know him, to begin to, to pick up on his good nature, to know who he is. And Paul is urging us to understand that you have been set free from the bondage and the slavery of this world so that you can encounter this God and live with him and experience his goodness every single day. And so we have a weighty word that we throw around in our culture, in our society. And that weighty word is expectation. We place expectations on each other. We place expectation on ourselves. The culture has expectations of us. Society, school, work, all have expectations of us. We even place expectations on God. 
But probably the most dangerous expectations that we tie ourselves to are false expectations that we believe that are from God that actually are not from him at all. And so what happens is, is we tie ourselves to these expectations. And so we work so hard to be good. I got to be good. I got to be good. I got to be good. If I do this, then I'll be good. And ultimately, guys, we fail. And then when we fail in being good, what we do is we take on shame. And we take on shame. And when we work so hard to meet these expectations that he never put on us, then we, re- we neglect his primary concern, which is this. God's primary expectation of you is to be loved by him. If there's an expectation that God has of you, it is simply that you would be loved. Doesn't God want me to obey, though? Doesn't God want me to to be patient and kind and and all of these different things. Of course, he wants you to do all of that. But his primary expectation is this, because here's the deal. You can't obey. You can't be patient. You can't be kind. You can't love. You can't do any of those things without him, without him. And we attempt all the time to try to take on these spiritual things and do them in our own strength and with our own flesh. But we cannot do it. It will always fail if it's not the spirit that's birthing it out of us. So God has an expectation and it is simply that you are loved, that you receive his love And so when we don't have to deal with the failure and the shame, then what happens is if we just, if we just remain in a posture of God, I want to receive and accept your love. Then we stop running from God and we start running to God. And when we start running to God, we spend more time with God. And when we spend more time with God, we become more like God. And then we experience his goodness And then we have something good to offer and share with others. Do you understand? And so it is in the becoming like him that we experience his goodness and share it with others. God's good always will cover your bad. God's good always covers your bad. In a few months here, we're going to do a play called A Christmas Carol. Some of you are familiar with the story, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And one of my favorite characters in that show is Scrooge's nephew, Fred. If you know the story, Fred is just a wonderful, delightful, great guy. And he comes in and everyone around Scrooge is seeing all of this mess that Scrooge is dissing, dissing out all of this blah of Scrooge. But Fred is intent on seeing that there's got to be somewhere in there something good. I wonder if you surround yourself with people who call out the good things in you, or do you surround yourself with the people who only see the bad? I wonder how many times we come into this place of worship and we get distracted by the criticisms of everything else going on except for the purpose of why we're here. Do you know that you can worship through your distractions? 
Do you know that you can choose to make him the reason why we are here despite whatever else you see or perceive is going on? And do you know that that is your choice? And so many of us at times will miss it all the way an hour into the gathering, a 30 minutes into the gathering, because we are so, we've chosen to be distracted. And then we walk out of here like, what was I even here for today? It is your choice. It is your choice to see the Lord. It's rarely convenient. And it doesn't always feel good. How many have been squeezed throughout this series? Has anybody been squeezed? Being squeezed is really the only way that we know that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our life. And guys living in the world that I live in, I get squeezed every day. Some of you were squeezed before you walked in here this morning, and some of you failed. And some of you passed. And some of you passed. But if this is an orange, and I was to squeeze this orange, what are you expecting to come out of this orange? Orange juice. Of course you're expecting orange juice, because this is an orange, and an orange produces orange juice. Wouldn't you be surprised, James, if I said I want to squeeze this for you and motor oil came out and I gave it to you to drink? Wouldn't that be kind of surprising to you if it was black and thick and you're like, well, I don't know what kind of oranges you're eating, Kevin, but this is not the type of orange juice that I want to drink. Here's the thing. This is an orange. It's called an orange. We call it an orange, so we expect orange juice. If you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a spirit-led believer, then when you get squeezed, then what comes out needs to be the fruit of the Spirit. We need not disgrace the name of Jesus Christ by wearing a t-shirt and putting on our lips that we live a Spirit-led life, but when we get squeezed, everything of the flesh comes out. And when we're squeezed and it's only him that comes out, then we actually have something good to offer people. See, here's the thing. When this started, before I squeezed this, I had nothing to offer. And the first thing that we have to understand is you have nothing to offer. When you try to hand people stuff from yourself, you're not giving them anything that's going to last. So it takes us emptying ourselves first and then allowing ourselves to be squeezed before we offer anything of, of sustenance and everlasting life to anybody else. God is so good. I said earlier that um, I believe that goodness was a clarifying fruit in the list that helps us understand. It's a barometer of do we understand what Paul is saying. Here's the thing. When you say things such as, I need to work on my patience I need to work on my joy. I need to work on being kind. You are working on the wrong thing. Because inevitably, when you're working on patience, kindness, and joy, you're going to fail. If you want to work on something, it is work on your life led by the Spirit. Work on your relationship with him, because when it comes to these attributes of the fruit, it's not anything that you can try to obtain on your own. It is only by the fruit. It's only by the fruit of living by the spirit. How do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? I receive his love. 
I accept the simplicity of my existence and my relationship to him to be that I have nothing to offer. The scripture tells me that anything good I bring to the table is like filthy rags. And so nothing is good enough that I can bring in this relationship. All he wants is me. And all he wants to do is love me. And guys, when I accept his love, when I begin to believe that he loves me, then all of a sudden these things start happening inside me. These changes. I can be in the Burger King drive-thru last Friday night for 45 minutes waiting on my wrong order. Get home, open up, it's chicken instead of a burger. And say, hey, that's all right. I don't know what's going on, God. I don't know. How did I get out of there without throwing that chicken at the window? I don't know what happened. I'm living by the Spirit. And it was outside of my control. Right? I chose to live by the Spirit. I'm choosing to live by the Spirit. Grow in your relationship with Him. Grow in your relationship with Him. It's rarely convenient. It doesn't feel good. It feels like the easier path sometimes when it comes to matters of integrity. When it comes to matters of... Sometimes, guys, if I'm just being real with you in this world, you look at something you're like... Man, this would go so this would go so fast, so much faster if I would just cheat in this situation. We would get so much further along if I just share this little white lie right here and just move us right along to the next thing. If I just cut this corner right over here. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you that his goodness wins every time. His goodness wins every time. Many of you seen superhero movies. There's always a moment in a superhero mo- movie where the, the goal is to convince the audience that the superhero is going to lose. But in the end, the superhero always wins. And so you may be in a situation where integrity is being called to the front, right? Goodness is being called to the front or, or any of the other fruit is being called to the front. You're being squeezed and it would be so easy to respond in the flesh And you will reason with your mind that that flesh response is the right response. But your spirit is saying, no, stay plugged into me. Do what I tell you to do. Walk by the spirit and out of you, out of you will come these things and his goodness will always win. Worship team, you can come on back. Goodness will always, always win. I had a birthday recently, and um, at this birthday party, I was given a, a card, and this card was a video card. And uh, I watched this video, and it's over 40 minutes of people talking about me and saying things to me. Now, some of you would get something like that, and you'd be like, yeah, let's go. That's not how I'm wired. <laughs> I look at that and I started to listen to the thing after thing, the encouragement, all of these things that were being spoken to me. And I looked and I said, do you guys know who you're talking to? Do you even know who you're, who, who you're talking about? And I got in there and the Lord convicted me. He convicted me because he said, Kevin, they're not acknowledging the goodness of Kevin O'Day. They're acknowledging my goodness coming through you. And so when I watched it again, 
something shifted inside me. And it wasn't, oh, Kevin, look, you're doing such a good job. Look at all these people. It was with every affirmation. I got to say, praise God, you're so good. Praise God, you're so good. For every affirmation and for every good thing that somebody could say about me, I got to deflect it to him because guys, all I ever have to offer you is nothing. But anything that you see in me that is good, it's all him. And so I got to praise him because of his goodness and how it's shining through my life. And I hope that when you encounter my life, I hope that when I talk to you, I hope that when I'm building relationship with you, that you don't see crummy, crappy Kevin O'Day, because I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff in here. But I hope that you encounter this real living God who is good, who is good. He is a good God and his goodness will win every single time. Would you stand with me today? And those who are going to pray, would you come forward? Listen, in a room this size, it stands to reason that there are people who may have never encountered the goodness of God. And we've been talking in this series about being set free, but you may have come in each week and you're like, Kevin, I don't know that I truly am set free. There are brothers and sisters down here today who would be honored to introduce you to Jesus Christ this morning. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I've had the salvation experience. I've asked Jesus in my heart. I'm, I'm going to heaven. But I hear about this thing where there's more, where there's this Holy Spirit that I can invite in my life. And, and maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. You know what? Today, there's an invitation for that as well. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The power that we receive from the Holy Spirit is to exude patience, kindness, love, joy, peace, all of these fruit. That's the power that we receive by the Holy Spirit. Now you can leave here and this just be a feel good message and I hope it was. Or you can encounter goodness and carry it out of here in a way that you've never experienced it before. So come this morning, we invite you, come and be introduced to this good, good God. Let's worship.